Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for the day and we thank you for your grace. And as we're uh, finishing up uh, the sermon series today, uh, my prayer is that we would be uh, a resurrection people and we would be different and changed by the power of this truth. We thank you again for Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. There have been a few books outside of the Bible uh, that moved me uh, the way that Laura Hildebrand's uh, 2010 book, Unbroken, moved me. I don't know if it was something that was going on in my life or what exactly it was, uh, but this book really impacted me and really changed me to the point of Cheryl and I, a lot of times before we go to sleep, we'll be like reading in bed and I'm reading this book and all of a sudden she's like, are you crying? No, you're crying. No, yeah, I'm not crying. You're the one crying. Yeah, and I mean, it just really moved me. And if you've never read it, it follows the story of a, a man named Louis Zamperini. Uh, he was a well-accomplished runner. He was actually an Olympic runner uh, and, and loved to run. And his running career kind of abruptly ends when he goes into World War II. And uh, it's a true story uh, about what happened to him. He enlists in the United States Army as a bomber, and on one of their missions, uh, he crashes into the ocean, and he and one of his best friends, uh, Phil, they end up being stranded at, at sea for 46 days. 46 days at sea on this, on this little tiny raft. They're eventually captured by the Japanese, and they're taken to this small base camp, given an insufficient meal, and then they're subjected to interrogation. And it's at this POW camp uh, that, that one of the guys in charge of the camp, uh, he went by the nickname The Bird, uh, introduces himself. And the only theory as to what happened next is that a lot of people believe that The Bird uh, recognized Louis Zamperini from the Olympics. Uh, it's the only explanation, but for whatever reason, uh, he singles Louis Zamperini out and begins years and years of just unbelievable abuse. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, kind of give you a heads up, it is hard to read if you've never read the book. Uh, just one kind of uh, difficult thing after another uh, for Louis. I mean, just absolute abusive, abusive behavior. And uh, the violence continues against Louis Zamperini until the war ends and he's able to go home. Now, Angelina Jolie made a movie of this. Have any of you seen the movie, uh, the Unbroken movie? She doesn't do it justice, okay? <laughs> because she ends the movie there. And it is a moving scene when the United States planes come over and they drop food into the prisoner of war camp and they finally know that the war is over. But the story actually doesn't end there. The story continues that Louis goes home and he is just filled with anger. Uh, and filled with animosity. He meets his wife, they get married, and his life is nearly wrecked by alcoholism uh, because of what he went through. And his wife uh, is threatening divorce. She's like, I'm just done with this. I'm done with your anger. I'm, I'm done with your drinking. I'm, I'm done with all of it. And as kind of a last ditch effort, they go to a Billy Graham crusade, he and his wife. And he hears about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the, the best part of the movie was, uh, the best part of the story was left out of the movie. That he gives his life to Jesus and it absolutely changes everything for Louis Zamperini. And he ends up spending the rest of his life as a Jesus champion, uh, as a light. And it moves me. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews 13. Uh, the book moved me in a profound way because to me, it shows the overcoming power of the resurrection that we've been talking about all throughout this series. That the resurrection is not just something to believe. 
It's not just something to celebrate once a year and get all pasteled up and search for eggs and all that stuff that we do at Easter. It's not meant to be celebrated that way. It is a truth that changes everything. And it changed it for Louis. And if you allow it, it will change, your, it will change everything for you. It, it dem- that story demonstrates to me the power of the resurrection to help us overcome that you may have a family legacy that you're not proud of. You may have habits and addiction and hangups that go as far back as you can remember. The power of the resurrection teaches us that we all can overcome. We can all overcome and be faithful. We can all overcome and follow Jesus. We can all overcome and live a better life. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is teaching uh, right toward the end of his book when he writes this in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, just two chapters ago, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, we went through it a couple years ago uh, as a church. But if you remember, just two chapters ago is the great faith chapter of the Bible. And the writer of Hebrews starts this kind of storytelling venture in Hebrews 11. He tells the story of Abraham, who was just a guy, right? Just a guy, living his life, doing his sheep thing, living uh, near his family, just a guy. And all of a sudden, God appears to him and says, I want you to leave your country and your people and your father's household, and I want you to start walking. I want you to go to a place that I will call you to later. Essentially, the call of Abraham's life was, start walking, and I'll tell you when to stop. And by faith, Abraham started walking. You think about how crazy that is to receive a call like that from God. He he started walking, and, and he walked until God told him to stop. By faith, Abraham went. He tells the story of Moses' parents in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 11 and 12, that the Israelite people were in slavery in Egypt, and they had started to grow to these ridiculously powerful numbers. And the Pharaoh of Egypt kind of freaked out about all of these people living in his country. And so he ordered that all the boys that were to be born in in Egypt uh, while the people were in slavery, they were all to be killed. And Moses' parents, because of their faith and because of the love of their son, they defied that order. And they hid their son for three months. And the courage and faith that it takes to stand up, it is uncommon. By faith they did that. He tells the story of many other unknown people. The end of Hebrews 11 in particular is very powerful. He tells the story of people that were faithful in their time. And some were jeered and killed and persecuted and mistreated. And they were absolutely, they did that because they were absolutely focused on their faith in God. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. Read 11 and 12 going into 13. And as you read that text, you will most likely have the same question that I have every time I read that text. And here it is on the screen like for you. How can I be like them? My story isn't theirs, and your story isn't theirs. We're not in slavery. We're not living under threat of persecution. I'm not in their circumstance. I'm in mine. But how in my circumstance can I be like them? And maybe you have the same question. You would say, man, I am raising my kids in a difficult culture. I'm working in an industry that is kind of hostile to my faith. I'm interacting with my neighbors that just think I am so weird because I follow Jesus. I'm facing financial and health challenges in my life and in the life of my family. And I want to be like them. I want to be an overcomer. 
And I want to be faithful in my circumstances and in my life the way they were faithful in theirs. And the truth is that it is really challenging to keep your faith in hostile times, isn't it? That, that when you think about our brothers and sisters from the past that the writer of Hebrews talks about, and you think about, like, can you imagine showing up to church under threat of arrest and persecution? That just being here could result in you, on your way out to your car, being put in prison? Can you imagine that? Or even on a much, much lesser scale, even the last year, just trying to navigate faith in challenging times? The challenge of faith in difficult times is discouragement. That we become discouraged and our discouragement uh, distances us from God. Now, all that being said, I hope you know there are some challenges to keeping your faith in good times too. Right? It's not just that the challenges are in the bad times. There is challenge when times are good and the challenge is pride. Here's how God said it to Israel. They were getting ready to come out of wandering in the desert. They were about to take this land flowing with milk and honey. And it's a little bit of a lengthy text, not real bad, but I want to show it to you. Here's what God says. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Right? Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well for you. And you may say to yourself, you might, my power and the strength of my hands have produced wealth for me. I did this. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You know, I have had person after person in my ministry approach me and say, will you, will you pray for me? I'm going through a really hard time and I don't know if I can stay faithful. And I love, I love praying with people that have a heart for God in that way. You know what I've never had? Would you pray for me? Things are going too well. My stocks are up and to the right. Have you been to my house, Steve? It's beautiful. I am concerned about pride. I've never had it, but, but it is just as dangerous. And the warning is that some of you are like, I am glad I don't have those things. I don't have a cent in the stock market. I couldn't be more happy right now. Right? Right? The warning is that we will forget. And the warning is that we will forget Jesus, specifically the warning for us, for us is that we will forget Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So how do we live a faithful and diff different life? Here's the promise on the screen for you. The God of peace and the God of resurrection, here's the promise. He will equip you with everything good for doing his will. All right. I hope you have felt that in times of disaster and in times of plenty. 
I want that verse to invade your heart. And I want that verse to invade your mind. The God of peace and the God of resurrection will equip you with everything good for doing his will. Let's talk about God for a minute. First of all, the text says he is a God of peace. The Greek word here, it describes someone that is, uh, has the absence of anxiety and fear. So here's the deal. For about a year and a half, we're working on two years, we have lived in a world and a culture that in the Greek word is freaking out. We're freaking out. We are afraid. There's tons of fear and anxiety. What on earth is going on in the world? It feels like 2020 hit and it all just fall apart. Fair? You know who's not freaking out? You know who's not taken aback? You know who doesn't wake up every morning working on his second or third ulcer? It's God. God is not concerned at all. Right? He loves us, but he's not concerned at all. And it's based in his knowledge because he knows the future, right? Kind of wish we did. But he knows the future. He knows how it's going to play out. And it's also based in his power. That he is stronger than anything and anyone. And so God is not waking up full of anxiety and fear and heartbreak and not knowing what's going to happen next. He doesn't ever wake up that way. It makes God the absolute best and only option for decision making in a crisis. Because the rest of us, I don't know if you watch the news, the rest of us are just guessing. Right? And I don't know about you, but when I'm freaking out, what the pandemic has taught me, is that when I'm freaking out, I don't make the best decisions. I don't eat the way I should, right? COVID-19 for a reason, right? I don't eat the way I should, I don't sleep the way I should, I don't treat people the way I should. And here's the beautiful thing, that never happens to God. And so we can trust him. When he says, love your enemies, treat your enemies with love, I can trust him with that. No, no, I want to win this battle. Right? I want to have victory over them. He says, no, no, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When he says, don't worry about tomorrow, each day has enough trouble of its own, I will provide, I can trust him. Because in a crisis, it feels like I just need to gather and hold on to my own. When he says, I can be an overcomer over my circumstances, I can trust him. Here's why. He knows how it plays out, Right? And so he says, I am telling you, the way it plays out, there is going to come a day when you look back and you are going to be glad you loved your enemies. The way things are going to play out. Only God knows this. He says, man, there is going to come a day, the way this is playing out, that you are, you are going to be glad that you walked in generosity of, of spirit and, and financially. He says, man, there's going to be a day that you didn't shrink back in fear. There's going to be a day, I see the way it's playing out, and I am telling you, listen to me, do it my way, and there will come a day where this is just a story that we tell. It's not going to be a great story, but it will be a story that we tell. 2020 will be a story we tell. 2021 will be a story we tell. And someday when I've got my grandkids gathered around, I want to tell them a great story, don't you? I want to tell them a story of faithfulness. I want to tell them a story of generosity. I want to tell them a story of courage. But that is only going to happen when I trust my God who knows the future. So let's make sure we are telling a great story. And God is uniquely equipped to tell us how to behave and how to live. He's not freaking out. Praise God. He is not freaking out, right? He's not concerned. I mean, he loves us, but he's not concerned about the future. He knows what's in the future. 
And so he knows the best way to handle this, and he knows the best way that we should live. So God is a God of peace. He's totally at peace. We're not. We need to trust in him. He's a God of peace. The text also says he is a God of resurrection. I like how this text says it. Because I don't think anywhere else in the scriptures it describes the resurrection this way. He says, through the blood of the eternal covenant that raised Jesus from the dead. He's talking about this covenant made with Abraham years and years ago where God promised Abraham, he says, man, if you'll walk and walk until I tell you to stop, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to build a nation through you. And through that nation, eventually the entire world will be blessed. And that promise is made perfect in Jesus. But throughout history, when you're watching the story unfold, we get to view that in the rearview mirror. We talked about this like in week one or two. But throughout history, in real time, God's people were enslaved. They were captured. They were disobedient. Jesus happens onto the scene. He's killed on a cross. And the unfolding plan of God throughout the Old Testament and the resurrection in the New Testament is a reminder to us that God will do whatever is necessary and God will provide whatever is necessary to achieve his plan. He's never lost a battle and he never will. So we tend to worry about things like in the middle of a crisis, will I have enough? Will I be enough? Do I have what it takes? And when it comes to the will of God, when it comes to being faithful in him, when it comes to walking obedience, here's the promise. God will equip. God will provide. God will empower. And he has done it all throughout human history. The closer we get to him, the closer we get to his word, the better he is able to empower us and equip us to do his will. Now it begs the question, what exactly is the will of God? What is being promised here? He says he will empower us and equip us in a specific way to do the will of God. So what is the will of God? And it's a question I get asked all the time. And I think that sometimes uh, we make this specific enough to our life that it can be hard to interpret what is the will of God. There are these times where the Bible doesn't exactly speak to our unique, specific situation. Like, hey, see, I'm looking for the will of God. Should I take this job or that job? Well, I'm going to kind of steer you to First Opinions 3.13. I, I don't know, right? <laughs> Should I live in this city or that city? Should I marry this person I'm dating or not? Should we have children now or like in a couple years? What exactly is the will of God? And a lot of times in, when it's that specific, there's no clear cut answer. So you know what the Bible would teach in a moment like that? The Bible would teach pray. Pray earnestly. Seek advice from godly people. Put yourself in a position to hear God's thoughts on it, but understand on issues like that, there is a ton of grace. Because it's hard and, you know, so don't freak out about it. It's hard to know exactly when God's word isn't clear to that specific situation. Now, other times, when it comes to the will of God, we know the answer and we just don't like it. <laughs> so on Sunday night, our family has a tradition. Sunday night uh, is uh, like get the house deep cleaned night. Get it ready for Monday morning when we're starting a new week. Uh, and so Sunday night, you know, Legos are organized. Toys are picked up, floors are vacuumed and clean, deeper clean. We hand out assignments after everyone's kind of napped and done screen time. We hand out assignments and then we send everyone off to kind of do their cleaning job. And every once in a while, and by that, I mean every Sunday night, <laughs> we will walk to where the kids are supposed to be doing their thing 
And one or most of the time, both of them are not doing what they were assigned to do. And Cheryl and I say, hey, do you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? And you know what they always say? I don't. (laughs) Translation, I know, I don't want to. And a lot of times when it comes to the will of God, I, between you and me, I know. (laughs) I know what he wants. Like a petulant child, I don't want to. And the truth is, beyond that, there are some passages of scripture that outline with absolute certainty so we can know what God's will is in a lot of situations. And so I want to show you just a couple verses. We're going to go through this relatively quickly, but I want to show you these are verses. If you've ever wondered, what is the will of God in my life? These are verses that with absolute certainty and clarity say, if you want to know God's will, you know, you might have a real specific situation that's hard to decipher, but if you really want to know the will of God, this is the will of God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, uh, the, the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. All right? So it is God's will that we do what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, this is incredibly challenging. It sounds very simple. It's incredibly challenging because we live in a world, as all Christians have throughout human history, that has their own definition of what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So our culture right now, I I could do a whole sermon on this, and I'm not going to um, because I'm doing this sermon, all right? So uh, I, I I could do that, but throughout all of human history, every culture has defined, hey, this is what's good, this is what's acceptable, and this is what's perfect, and here's what Paul is saying in this text. It would be very easy to be conformed to that. It would be. That all of a sudden you're living in the culture, and all of a sudden like you're calling something good that the Bible's really clear on is not good. You're calling something acceptable that the Bible's really clear is not acceptable. You're calling something kind of perfect that is not perfect. So he says, we don't want to be conformed. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, so we can know what is really good. So we can know what is really acceptable. And we can know what is really perfect. And here's the promise. Your resurrection Savior will equip you and empower you to know this. He will. Your resurrection Savior will equip you and empower you to know what is good, to know what is pleasing, to know what is acceptable, and to know what is perfect. First Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus for you. Great time of year to be preaching on this, right? That God's will for you is that you would be thankful in all circumstances. And I did a really intensive Greek study on it, the original language, and you know what that means? The word all? All. Right? It's hard, isn't it? Pandemic year, be thankful in all circumstances. Bad news year, hard, in a negative year, it's hard. But he says, your resurrection savior will equip you and empower you to do this. To focus your mind and your heart on things you can be thankful for. He's not asking you to be thankful for a pandemic. He's asking you to find things in a pandemic to be thankful for. And the beautiful thing is our resurrection savior equips us and empowers us to do this. First Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. It is God's will that you would be sanctified. Uh, The word here, it it literally just means it is God's will that you would be changed. 
and you would be made like Jesus, that you would have victory over different sin in your life. That is God's will. And you say, you don't understand how my daddy was. You don't understand how my grandpa was. You don't, you, you don't understand how long of a family legacy there is. No, it's God's will that you would have victory over that. And he equips you and he empowers you to do that. Therefore, do not be foolish, Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It is God's will for you that you would walk in wisdom, not foolishness. Have you ever had, um, have you ever had an experience where a friend is talking to you? They're like, hey, I want to sit down and have coffee with you. This is kind of what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about doing fill in the blank, and they lay out the story, and they're like, I really feel like it's God's will. You're like, no. No, and they're like, well, how on earth could you say that? How could you know that? It's not wise, it's not smart, and it's not good. Check, check, check. How can it be God's will if it's not wise, smart, or good, right? Wisdom throughout the scriptures is tied to life, that we find real life by finding wisdom. And so your resurrection savior wants to equip you and empower you to choose wisdom so that you're never on the other end of that conversation. Like, Hey, I've got this great idea. I'm thinking about doing this, this, and this. And your friend's like, no, (laughs) I I can't let you do any of those things. I know you you have freedom of of will, but that's a bad idea. We want to walk in wisdom. Last one, Hebrews 10 36. For you have the need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It is God's will, church, that you will endure. It is God's will that you would not give up. It is God's will that you would not throw in the the towel. It is God's will that when things don't go well and things don't go your way, when you're on the mat, it is God's will that like your savior, you will resurrect and you will get back up, and you will keep following. And God, your resurrection Savior, will equip you and empower you and help you to get off the mat and walk toward him again. I love the NIV translation of this. He says, he will equip you to do these things. I love this translation of it in the NIV because sometimes the will of God is hard to do because we don't feel like we have what it takes. Right? This promise is that through faith, God says, through faith, through drawing close to me, the promise is I will give you what it takes. I will give you the fortitude. I will give you the courage. I will give you the wisdom. I will give you the Holy Spirit to empower you and equip you to live the life he has called you to live. I love that translation of it. There's two other translations that I find really interesting that that the way this verse could be translated. Another translation says he will perfect you so that you can do God's will. In our English, the way we typically use perfect is that perfect is never making a mistake. And I don't know about you, but I'll just speak for me. That's probably not in the cards for me. I got 45 years of experience that says it's not in the cards. But think about it more in terms, the word perfect as a problem to be solved. That if you're, if you're a math person, there is a perfectly correct answer to nearly every problem. Let me give you an example. One plus five is never going to be 10. Ever, ever, ever. One plus five is six. So when it comes to the problems of this world, this is beautiful. Your resurrection savior wants to equip you and empower you to help you be the answer, not the problem. 
He wants to help you and equip you to point people to the ultimate answer that is found in Jesus. But we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So if you live like we do, all right, like we all do, living in a very angry culture that just nurses our anger and nurses our hostility, what the spirit of Christ wants to do in you is help you be the answer, not part of the problem. So Christians that are stirring up more anger and are stirring up more animosity and are stirring up more resentment, it's not super helpful, amen? The spirit of Christ is equipping us and empowering us to help be the solution and to help point people to the ultimate solution, which is in our resurrected Savior, Christ. And I think this is important because sometimes it's hard to do the will of God because our circumstances aren't perfect. And we kind of plead with God, man, if we lived in better circumstances, if my family was healthier, if this culture was healthier, if the United States was healthier, it would be easier to live according to the will of God if my circumstances would be made perfect. The promise is not that he's going to perfect your circumstances. The problem, the promise is that he's going to perfect you. Let me put, be a little more blunt about it. If you have this hope that someday our culture is going to be a bastion of Christian ideology, please let it go. Please let that hope and that longing go. That we are somehow going to go to be a bastion of Christian, of Christian theology. That is not the promise. The promise is that culture is always going to be what culture is. Christians throughout all of eternity have lived in negative cultures. The, the promise is not that he'll perfect culture. The promise is that he'll perfect you. And he'll empower you. And he'll equip you. And he'll motivate you to start being part of the solution and not be part of the problem. So in my humble opinion, and I've left my notes a long time ago, um, which is most of the time a fireball offense. So um, I'm going to try to rein it back again. But I really think what we need is for Christians to, to take our ball and go home when it comes to some of the stuff of this culture and say, you know what? Anger's part of the problem. Christ is equipping me to be part of the solution. Judgmentalism is part of the problem. Christ is equipping me to be part of the solution. Discouragement and anger and animosity, it is all part of it. But Christ, our resurrection Lord, is equipping me and helping me to choose a better way. Another way this could be translated, last way I want to show you, is that he wants to restore us to do his will. I love this, guys. Because when we feel like we have failed, when we feel like we have dropped the ball, when we feel like we've done, not done the right thing, and we're like, you know what, today in my family, today at work, today in culture, Today I was part of the problem, not part of the solution. When we have days like that, you know what this, this translation says? He restores us. He forgives us. He resurrects us to say, yeah, today wasn't great. Tomorrow's a new day. Get back up and, and become part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I think that is a beautiful thing as a person who on a regular basis, I lay down to put my head on the pillow and I'm like, ugh. The way I talk to this person, 
the way I interacted with the poor checkout person at the grocery store that was just trying to do her job. You know, a little bit cynical, a little bit snippy. The way I handled this situation with Cheryl or with my kids, ugh. And on days that end with an ugh, the promise is restoration. That you can put your head on the pillow at night and know that you are forgiven. And that you can resurrect the next morning with an absolute spirit-empowered self motivated to again do the will of your heavenly father. To say, now tomorrow in my family, today, not great. Tomorrow, I'm gonna resurrect off that bed and tomorrow I am going to be part of the solution. I'm gonna point people to the ultimate solution in Jesus. I am going to walk in new life. And the promise is that the God of resurrection will work in us what is pleasing to him. He's always at work to do what is pleasing to him. Will you guys stand up for a minute? I want to read a passage of scripture over you as we get ready for communion. I want to read this and I want us to internalize it because this verse is a companion verse to what we just read. But here's what it says in Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. What does that look like? Uh, uh, do everything without complaining and arguing, without grumbling and arguing. Is that a good translation? It is, unfortunately. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. The Greek means the opposite, right? No, the Greek doesn't mean the opposite. Sorry. All right. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of truth. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Doesn't that sound good? It's being part of the solution. We shine among them like stars in the sky as we hold firmly to the word of life. And our resurrection savior equips us for this. He restores us, he perfects us so that we can do this verse. We can shine like stars in the sky. We can be changed. I hope you know that. You can be changed. We can overcome, we can endure, we can be thankful, we can do his will, we can walk his way, we can point people to Jesus. This resurrection changes us forever. And our solution to it is we shine like stars in the universe as we hold firmly to the word of truth and we point people to Jesus. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, uh, right now as we're getting ready to receive communion, uh, I just want to pray that we would internalize this truth. That it wouldn't be just something we believe in our head, but it would be something that we internalize in our hearts and in our minds and that it would, it would change the way we interact. And my prayer right now is that you, as, as our resurrection king, that you are equipping us and helping us to live different lives. May we be perfected, may we be part of the solution, not part of the problem. May we point people to you, the absolute solution to all of the ills in culture, all of the ills in our family. You are absolutely the solution. May we point people to you. 
May we shine to the extent that we reflect you. I pray it for all of us, and I pray that when we have a day that ends in UG, that this moment would invade that space as well. And that we would know through the cross we are forgiven. It was a rough morning or a rough day or a rough couple days. But you forgive us. And you resurrect us and you empower us to do it different tomorrow. And may tomorrow be different than today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to pass out communion. It's your time to interact with your Savior. Just hold on to the two cups and thank Jesus for his sacrifice and for the power of his resurrection. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. For the forgiveness of your sins. The gift and empowerment of his Holy Spirit. So that you can be forgiven and resurrected to live new life. I want to thank you for uh, indulging me these last six weeks uh, on on this resurrection series that um, there were, uh, this series meant more to me than any other one that I've ever done. It it just found its way into my heart and my mind. So I appreciate you letting me yell a little bit, cheerlead. You gotta be careful when you, there's things you want to say because you can twist scripture very easily. So my prayer, my heartfelt prayer is that I never did that. Um, And that I just, my prayer is that we would be changed by this. Um, but by the resurrection, not by any message, but by the resurrection and that we would internalize it and be motivated by it and different because of it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Will you go ahead and stand? Let's sing one last song. We'll celebrate Thanksgiving next Sunday and then we'll be, believe it or not, in Christmas series. So, all right, God bless you guys.